Have you been considering therapy or maybe thinking about it for somebody that you know? But are there certain nagging things that make you feel like you just couldn't go through with it? Do you want somebody to play devil's advocate about that? Today we're talking about five common barriers that get in the way of people seeking therapy, even when they most need it. It's something I hear often, and it's something that when people first come into therapy, they often wish that they had had somebody to talk to them about sooner. So if you're on the fence, you think therapy could help, but you're just not sure how to go about it, you'll want to listen to today's baggage check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice. It's really good that you joined me here today. I'm happy to have you. I want to remind you that Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about the scripts from the Emoji movies. So let's get started. Today, we are getting down to business about all the things that might get in the way of people seeking therapy. Now, look, I am hugely, hugely biased when it comes to therapy, but even I can say therapy doesn't have to be for everybody. I really do think that if you have a good therapist, you have the opportunity to gain insight and maybe figure out some things about relationships or change some behavior patterns, but certainly therapy's not for everybody. But what I'm talking about today is the people for whom it could really help but there's something getting in the way. That's something that's making them procrastinate on the idea of it, or it's making them scared to do it, or it's making them resist it, or just convince themselves that it wouldn't be good for them. The truth is many people who suffer from mental health symptomology hesitate to reach out for help, or they feel like there aren't resources available to them. And Oftentimes, right now, one of the biggest barriers that I do hear is people feeling like they're ready, but that there's nobody available. So we'll talk about that. I would love it if therapy was more plentiful. I would love it if there were more people in the field. If we could be more encouraging of people trying to enter into the field. If it wasn't so difficult sometimes, if there wasn't so much burnout if we could be more supportive of the people entering into the field, it's really a screwed up system, at least in the United States. I totally get that. And I really feel that the decision to start therapy, though, is often the biggest barrier for people. So let me take a moment to say, if you've already made the decision and you're really having trouble finding someone, please don't lose heart get on people's wait lists, keep calling people, look at the directories. I have no official affiliation with any directory except I'm listed within the Psychology Today therapist directory. Unfortunately, my private practice is typically full, so I'm not really sure why I keep having that listing. But Good Therapy, Psychology Today's Therapist Finder, um, the American Psychological Association's resources online. There are lots of ways to find therapists. Looking at your insurance providers, looking at your local community mental health centers, looking at local universities that might have training programs in social work 
or in clinical or counseling psychology, they often have very low-cost therapy services as well. So get on wait lists. Keep calling. Keep emailing. Talk to your primary care providers if you have one. Talk to specialists if you have one. See if there are listings within those directories for the types of experiences you are dealing with. The truth is with teletherapy now, Availability is loosening up a little bit because you're not just limited to somebody that you can squeeze in on your lunch hour or somebody that you can drive to. And more and more, the laws are finally getting real and allowing us to practice in multiple states with various packs, something called SIPAC. There's some reciprocity. So keep trying. But what I want to spend the majority of today talking about is those internal barriers that I often hear from people get in the way of them thinking that therapy can help. Because these barriers are keeping people from help, and they're keeping people suffering. The prevalence of anxiety and depression symptoms, it's been rising. It's risen precipitously since the pandemic, and it hasn't really gone down that much. And honestly, It wasn't so great before the pandemic. So it stands to reason that there are a lot of people that could really use help and that aren't getting it. So if you're particularly worried about one of the barriers here and it's still in your mind even after we talk today, or there's an incredibly different barrier that I haven't even mentioned and it's on your mind, consider actually bringing it up when you first have a consultation with the potential therapist, okay? That could actually be a really good way of figuring out if they're the right fit, but also they could allay your concerns, okay? Barrier number one, financial concerns. It's true. Psychotherapy feels out of reach financially for many, many people, And typical insurance coverage falls short, falls really far short, actually, for being enough. It might have all kinds of issues, deductibles. It might not cover virtually anything. You have to have a specific diagnosis. You have to have a session limit. Maybe your particular plan just doesn't cover that many people. It doesn't cover as much for telehealth. There are all kinds of problems, but it is definitely worth exploring lower cost options because there are lower cost options that can put therapy into reach for people. You can try individual practitioners and ask if they have a sliding scale. Sometimes Many therapists will have sliding skills for just a couple of clients that they can squeeze in. Maybe they're using certain session times reserved for those sliding scale clients. Again, there are community mental health clinics that offer, if you live in certain jurisdictions, lower cost therapy. Really check out what your insurance does cover because a lot of times my clients are surprised with what they get. Maybe their insurance has been a royal pain in the neck in so many ways. And then when they actually look into it, hey, it covers most of my session. University training programs like psychology departments, behavioral clinics, often these are in, as I mentioned before, social work programs, clinical psychology doctoral programs, counseling psychology doctoral programs, or just counseling programs. These are all particularly fertile possibilities for lower cost options. 
Another possibility, if individual therapy still seems out of reach, is looking into some group options. A lot of times, group psychotherapy or specific support groups are a great way of starting. And depending on what you're dealing with, if it's something that can be particularly beneficial or benefited from, I should say, in terms of group Those would be things like social anxiety, which, of course, is going to make you not want to do the group in the first place. But if you can actually bring yourself to do it, things like grief are particularly well served by group. But even just some general concerns where you feel like you need therapy, a lot of times the group process can be a great way to start. So think about all these options. Do not give up if the finances are a concern, okay? Number two, fear of awkwardness or unfamiliarity. I mean, it's true. This can be the worst nightmare for somebody. The idea of talking to a stranger about some of the most vulnerable aspects of your life and your emotions. It can be completely daunting. I get it. And yet, this is what we're trained in. Therapists, they have expertise in how to make you feel safe how to help you feel comfortable and valued in the therapy space. We are used to being entrusted with people's deepest and most troubling feelings. And we're typically pretty skilled in knowing how to balance asking questions and also giving space to talk. We're typically pretty skilled in acknowledging the awkwardness and allowing you the ability to talk about it without it feeling more awkward. You know, certain potential clients just might find the whole premise awkward. What am I supposed to say? What do I do? Who talks first? What do I say? Do I have to entertain the therapist? No, you never have to entertain the therapist. Experienced therapists, though, they have many clients who are apprehensive in very similar ways. And they can help you manage these feelings right from the start. Here's the thing. A lot of times the people who are most apprehensive, therapy ends up having the biggest payoff because precisely the reasons that they were apprehensive, they don't want to take up space. It's hard for them to think about feelings. They don't think that they're valuable enough. They worry about how maybe they are ashamed of certain things and that they're not able to really be looked at without judgment because of it. They think they're a bad person, all these types of things, or they're socially anxious and it's hard for them to even imagine sitting in a room with somebody or making eye contact. These are all things that can be helped beautifully by the therapy process. So let's move on to number three. Feeling underrepresented in therapist communities. Now, I want to talk about this straight on without euphemisms, without trying to hide anything. I mean, the truth is this is a major issue. And I've tried to talk about it with honesty and integrity in the past on this podcast because the truth is I am a white woman. There is no getting around that. And we are pretty overrepresented in therapy. I'm a heterosexual cisgender woman. And the truth is, a lot of folks might feel like therapy is just a bunch of white women. Many potential clients might balk at the idea of it because they don't feel like there's somebody out there that could really get them or look like them or understand their life experience, right? Whether it's about gender identity or sexuality, whether it's about race or ethnicity or culture, religious faith, anything like that. 
it makes perfect sense that somebody might prefer a therapist with a special understanding of their identity or their role in a certain community. And so maybe it's about disability. Maybe it's about something in their upbringing that just feels too weird, quote unquote, to share. But the thing is, more and more, again, with telehealth, there is the possibility of connecting with a therapist who brings a certain something to the table. And some of those directories I talked about, they can allow a practitioner to discuss exactly this, what their special expertise is, what kind of cultural competence they have, who they are themselves, what they bring to the table, their experience and background. You know, if a black man wants to actually be able to talk to another black man, that is important. And we talked about that with Dr. Harold Neighbors months ago in one of our episodes. And so while the diversity of backgrounds among the therapist population could always be improved, the truth is with online searches, it is more possible than ever to find a therapist who matches what you're hoping for. And you also might be surprised certain therapists might not look exactly like you, but they might have special expertise. Maybe they've lived and worked in certain communities for a long time that they have a special understanding of, even if they're not in that actual community with their own identity. Okay, number four, fear that you will feel worse before you feel better. Sometimes when people have been masking or keeping in their pain for a really long time, The idea of talking about it or letting it out, it makes them feel like they'd be unable to keep in control. They'll say, if I start talking about that, I won't be able to stop crying. Or we should let the past be in the past. There's no use of talking about it now. Let's not rock the boat. I don't want to open up all that stuff. And yes, it is absolutely true that sometimes in therapy, you might temporarily experience more discomfort because you're talking about things that maybe in the past you had chosen to ignore, you stuffed them. And so in the moment, there might be some discomfort. I mean, let's be real. Therapists keep tissues in their office for a reason, right? But the whole idea of therapy is that the payoff of talking about those things can lead you to feel far better than you did before. This is how you change. This is how you understand This is how you connect the dots and discover patterns that you can gain insight into and decide to move forward and move away from, maybe, or to build better habits. So bringing up difficult issues is central to the whole foundation of the gains that you can make in therapy. If you just shoot the breeze every week and you don't reveal stuff, or you lie and you say that everything's fine, you're not going to be able to get that changed behavior, that added insight, those healthier habits. You're not going to be able to come about that deeper sense of resilience and confidence of being able to face and manage life's challenges. So I'm not here to pretend that, you know, going to therapy is going to be as smooth and comfortable and easy as popping on something in Netflix, right? But the truth is the discomfort has a real benefit. It's for a purpose, It's not just somebody picking at your scab to make you feel worse. It's actually trying to build something better. And then finally, we've got concerns about scheduling or time commitment, number five. The idea of a weekly therapy appointment, of course, this is daunting to many. 
And next to money, it's probably the top logistical reason that somebody hesitates to try to find help. There's work responsibilities. There's family responsibilities. It makes it seem like a regular appointment might be impossible. For couples therapy, oh, this is the number one barrier. I hear it all of the time because you're trying to get two schedules to work. And then who's going to watch the kids if you have children, right? So, I mean, I get it. But here's the thing. Once again, with telehealth, there is more flexibility than ever before. You don't have to necessarily drive somewhere and park or take off work. Maybe you can see a therapist at an off time on a weekend or an evening or whenever you have off from work. Maybe you can squeeze it in in a quiet place in your lunch hour during work. Again, it shouldn't take as long if you're doing teletherapy as it would if you were actually going into an office. And so there's a whole new range of possibilities there. Really, it makes a huge difference getting rid of that commute and no longer having to physically go somewhere. It often can make for more flexibility, too, in terms of the time being always the same time or maybe a little bit more flexible. I know ever since I've been seeing most people online, it's a lot easier for me to be able to reschedule to their wishes because I don't have to worry about, well, is there office space at that time that I would be using? Would I actually be able to make it there? I can fit them in generally a little bit more easily coming from my home office. So that's something to keep in mind. The other big thing to keep in mind is that a lot of therapists are willing to work with you in terms of your schedule. Maybe you don't go every single week. You go every other week. Um, maybe you work out something differently, right? And so be thinking about how something could be better than nothing, right? This is not 1976 in terms of you must commit and it's going to be Friday at 9.50 a.m. until the end of time, right? You really can talk to therapists about what works and what could work for you. And a lot of times they'll be willing to work with you. So I never want it to be a barrier that you think that you have to sign on the dotted line for time and memorial to have the exact same weekly session no matter what. Ask for what works and see if it's feasible. It's certainly better than not trying. So hopefully if you identified with these five barriers, I've given you a little bit of peace of mind to think about how to overcome them, okay? If there are more barriers that I've not mentioned here, I would love to hear about them. So please do reach out. And remember, if you've been on the fence about therapy for a really, really long time and you still just haven't reached out, but in the back of your head, you know it could be helpful and it keeps coming up, why not just take one concrete, specific step forward to try to see if you can make it happen? You may be surprised. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check, with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Marity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time. Take good care.